Hey everyone, it's Caleb. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I'm so grateful that you would decide to spend a few minutes of your day here with me. And boy, do I have a great guest for you today. Today I'm talking with my friend Sam Collier, and uh, we're going to talk about what's been happening in our country probably over the last uh, month or so after the events that have happened after George Floyd and some of the racial tension that's been happening in our country and, and some of the things that we can do to, to, to continue to move forward, to continue to move towards healing and equity and equality. As well, and so really looking forward to bringing that to you. I do want to let you know that this conversation was recorded last Thursday, and so if anything happens between, um, you know, between whenever the conversation was recorded and whenever this podcast is released, uh, and we don't address it, that would be why. I also want to let you know that the music that you're listening to is brought to you by another good friend named Sam as well. And that is Sam Massey. And if you're listening to this music and you love this music, hit up Sam uh, for any of your audio or um, or video needs as well. And he would love to work with you on that. And as I mentioned today, I'm talking with Sam Collier, who also has a book coming out in uh, in a little over a month. And we'll be talking with him uh, on another podcast episode about that. But it's called A Greater Story. And I encourage you, go hit up that, uh, hit up Amazon, hit up wherever you might pre-order books and pre-order the book. Now, here is my conversation with Sam Collier. Sam, it is so great to have you back on the podcast today. Bro, I feel like I'm a legend on this podcast because I've been there from the beginning. You you are a legend on this podcast. You were <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, man, I, I think I might be a co-host. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just so excited to be back, man. Love everything you're doing and bless what you and Todd are now doing and you know I just love both of you guys man so it's great to be back yeah and uh and excited they're actually going to come back later in the summer and talk about your brand new book as well a greater yeah. story but man thank you man that that means uh, a lot it is available for pre-order right now I have to <laughs> say it or my publisher will destroy me go get it on Amazon please yes yes <laughs> But uh, today, I want to talk with you about something different. I kind of want to talk with you about kind of kind of what's happening in our country right now and what's happening yeah. with with race as well. And um, I, I just want to start with, I just want to just know kind of like, what are you thinking? What, what are you feeling just right now as it stands? It's kind of in the middle, back half of June. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? 
Man, you know, um, it has, lack of a better phrase, died down a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Or let me, let me not even say died down. It has subsided, I believe. Um, you know, we, we're coming out of this moment of extraordinary civil unrest around the world, protests and riots and all types of, I mean, signs, you know, they've renamed streets in Washington, Black Lives Matter. I mean, just so much civil unrest around the world. And um, I I feel like the point has been made (laughs) from all those that um, are coming from all walks of life. And, you know, what's interesting about this journey is you've got people that are believers in it, but then you have a lot of people, a lot of black and brown people that are not believers and do not subscribe to the methods um, that um, Christ would probably have us um, subscribe to as it pertains to um, seeking justice. I do think we need to seek it. I do think we need to fight for it. But, you know, I, you know, Jesus would not necessarily condone riots. But I do think we have seen all types of expressions, all hoping for the same goal, which is that we would be one world. So I'm feeling good. Um, I do think it's going to come back around during the election. <laughs> right now, we I think we're on a little bit of a break, um, but it's coming back. Yeah. And and one of the things uh, that I'm just really curious, like I love understanding people's why, because I think that just helps us connect on a deeper level. And like yeah. it, whenever all of this stuff was was happening, especially with, with George Floyd and, and his uh, – and his killing and his tragic death. Um, you know, I saw like you were speaking out a lot on it yeah. on, on Instagram TV, on Instagram, like literally everywhere. And I'm just curious, like, what was <laughs> the thing that made you go, you know, I, I just feel like I need, like, I feel like I need to address this. I feel like I need to talk with my audience about this. Man, um, it felt like an all chips on the board kind of moment. Um, it, um, I think it had gotten to the point to where I saw, um, the civil unrest rise like never before. And I saw the division come higher than ever before. And really, man, it was a response to leadership. It was, people kept saying, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? How should we feel? What do we do? And I looked up and we kind of were in a leadership vacuum. And so I was like, man, I guess I, I guess I need to say something. (laughs) And, um, you know, I, I, you know, I've studied Dr. King for, you know, um, many years. Um, So I felt like his perspective in the conversation could be helpful as people were trying to discover where they should land in this conversation and, and so um, I, that was kind of my why, man. It was, there was a leadership vacuum and I felt like I was, I needed to step in and, and people kept calling me and saying, please, can you step in here? Because we don't know what to do on both sides. Hey, can you help us translate what our message is to white people and white people were going, can you help us understand? And can you help us translate back like what's going on? And so um, it was a very interesting seat to sit in, but, it was really just a response to, um, to, to the leadership vacuum. Mm-hmm. 
And like, you're having all of these people come in, like asking, Hey, would you speak? Like, what are you feeling during that time? <laughs> Man, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. You know, I had a moment and I share this a lot. I've been sharing this. I had a moment two weeks in, um, which, you know, in, in, when civil unrest is that large around the world, from day to day, it feels like a week, you know, it's like, oh, we've been in this for a week, but it's really the, the next day or, you know, or three days, but it feels like, oh my gosh, you know. Um, so maybe around week two, I had almost a breakdown. And it was not for the reasons that people would think. It, for me, it was, I responded to the leadership vacuum and I realized that there was nowhere I could stand in the fight and not get hit. I realized that I, everybody, you know, and I think you probably experienced it as you probably have even tried to speak out and others like you, you, everybody got hit. <laughs> like there was nowhere. I realized that I said, I can't stand on, I can't stand in the middle. I can't stand on the left. I can't stand on the right. I'm going to get hit no matter where I stand. So I got to figure out where I'm going to stand and just take the bullets. And that was my advice to, to most leaders in this season. Cause they're going, Sam, what do we do? Like we're getting hit on all, like what black or white. They're like, what, how do we, and I said, you just got to get hit. You got to pick where you're going to stand. And there's nowhere you can stand and not get hit. I, even if you decide not to talk, I'm like, it is what it is. You in the fight. So either you're going to say something and just be okay with the bullets or not say anything and be a part of the problem and still get hit. So I'm like, you might as well say something and stand on, and stand on the right side of history, you know, um, as it pertains to just moving our culture forward. So man, it was, I had to come to Jesus. I almost had a breakdown. Cause I was like, what is going on? I don't know where to go, who to follow. I'm getting hit on both sides. And um, Jesus had to really calm me back down and say, it's okay. And I, and I, I did a deep dive on MLK that night and a little bit more on, on uh, uh, John and scriptures and, um, and, and found my, found my lane. Yeah. And I mean, I just think what you were saying, it's just tough because I, I was listening, uh, I was listening to a podcast this morning and they were just saying, you know, if you're following Jesus, like at some point you're going to be persecuted and that just sucks. <laughs> nobody likes being persecuted. No, like, it is what it is. Like the, the apostles, you know, they were murdered, you know, many of them. And so it was just, man, it, uh, it, welcome to the, you know, I, I, I kept, I keep, I kept texting people and saying, welcome to the jungle. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. It is on and you got to pick where you're going to stand. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm really curious about, what what have you learned from from Dr. King that has just informed how um, how you approach not even just how you approach like this whenever whenever issues of race come up but just life in general? How has Dr. King just informed your way of life? Wow, you know, obviously, you know, Dr. King would say that he got his philosophy from Jesus and his methodology from Gandhi. And that's where the whole kind of concept of nonviolence came from. It's not necessarily, you know, just 
a way of describing something. It is actually a philosophy called nonviolence that has an ethos and, um, and all these types of things, steps, it's a strategy. Um, and I think out of that place, man, you know, love rules the way. And so for me, it is actually the idea of leveraging love to pierce the conscience to create change. And so for me, that's, I mean, that's been everything for me over the last 10 years of just going, you know, how do I leverage love to change the world? Um, and it, it was the first time I started to discover love um, uh, for more than just a mushy word, but that there's actually a lot of grit involved in, in love, you know, that love has many sides and can take on many forms and can, can, you know, tear down, um, uh, uh, regimes that are oppressed, that seek to oppress, you know, like that love looks different and, you know, has a lot and, it, and can be aggressive. And, and so I, but, but, but within all of that, it's still love, you know, like it's still rooted in a sense of peace and pursuing the betterment. It's not, it doesn't have anger. It doesn't have malice. It doesn't have deceit. So I think with all of that, man, I mean, you know, Dr. King taught me, I mean, he taught me a lot. And I think as it pertains to this, this, where we find ourselves in our world today, um, I love, um, I did an interview with The Truth, Christian rapper recently on racism. How, have you heard it? You probably haven't heard it. I haven't that. had a chance to yet, but yeah. I will say this. You're, the song with The Truth <laughs> is killer. Hey, I'm going to give you that song. Well, when I come back, you can play it on the show. You can play it on the show. Yeah. Thanks, bro. Um, I, I sat down and talked to the truth. You know, he, he kind of specializes also in apologetics. And he said something so crazy. He said, you know, when we look at the cross, the cross was a convergence of so many things in one. It was love. It was justice. It was... Um, patience, it was compassion, all in one. And so when we think about the life of Jesus, he was, uh, he was love and justice at the same time. And the cross is the convergence of all of that. And so for me, Dr. King was that. He always was a healthy mix of love and justice. He wasn't too much of anything, uh, as the truth would say. Uh, he was, he was, um, he was well balanced. And for me, I had to grab a hold of that. And and I had to go, okay, I have to pursue justice, but I also have to pursue love. And so what am I lacking? And what do I need to turn up? What do I need to turn down? And for me, I said, you know what? I need to get more unfiltered about truth. More, I need to, this is the moment to give unfiltered truth, but I also need to hold love with a very heavy hand. So that's why I've tried to stand. And that's why I think Dr. King stood, bro. What, what, what helps you distinguish between knowing, hey, I need a little bit more truth here or I need a little bit more love or grace here? Because, I mean, it's just tough. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a good question. I, I, what helps me distinguish? Wow. I, you know, I feel like, uh, well, one, the world will tell you now. <laughs> if you don't have enough truth, they're going to be like, what you talk about, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think for me, you have, to, you have to be true about your convictions. You know, as we talk about truth and justice, like, you know what's right. Um, speak 
what's right. That to me is like, am I saying the, uh, am I being unfiltered in my truth? Am I telling the truth? Like all of the truth, not some of it, but all of it. And then I think where the love thing comes in for me is, is how am I saying it? Because I could say it, but where love comes in is how, how am I saying it? Am I saying it in a way that unifies or am I saying it in a way that tears apart? Am I saying it in a way that um, is not filled with grace and kindness and, you know, and not everything has to be super kind, but, you know, it, it, when we talk about the fruit of the spirit, like, am I operating in the fruit of the spirit in how I'm delivering truth at the highest level? Is there a sense of reconciliation in my voice? Is there a sense of, you know, am I attacking? I love what Dr. King always would say, are you attacking the person or are you attacking the evil? Because you, there it is possible to attack the person while you're trying to attack the evil. And so he has, you got to be very mindful of, you know, how, how do I really root out this evil without attacking the person? And how do I keep in mind that they also are a part of the Imago Dei, right? Like the image of God. And how, how do I, and so all of that to me are filters, you know, that I run the truth through and that I run all these th different things, litmus tests. And I have, and just on a very practical level, I have friends that I call on the white side, on the black side, on the Asian side, on the Hispanic side. And I'm like, hey, what'd this sound like? You know? <laughs> and they help me. They're like, oh, it sounds yeah. like you're saying this. I'm like, okay, that's not what I'm saying. So, like, oh, it sounds like you're saying this. Oh, okay, that's not what I was trying to say. Oh, it sounds like, ah, okay, okay, okay. So. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, can, can you just talk to the importance of literally what you were just talking about? Because I think there, there's a tendency, um, I think there, there might be a tendency in all of us to just, hey, I just want to get my thoughts out there. I just want to say whether that be, um, hey, I want to stand with people or I'm going to put out the hashtag or whatever it might be, or I want to put out a message. Um, just talk about the importance of like, just running it, running it by people. Cause I think especially right now, it's just so important. Man. Um, yes. The Bible says there's a safety in a multitude of counsel. And, you know, I, uh, find that to be true. <laughs> I find that to be very true. Um, we're living in a day where, I mean, sound bites can, 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 can kill you. I mean, sound bites can destroy your influence. Words have never mattered more than now. Words are just so important, especially because we have digital mediums that can cut up your stuff and just send it everywhere. And so for me, man, the, the more I traveled around the world, the more I started to understand how important it was to run things by people because everybody lives a different life and comes from a different place and hears different things. And when I, after I got married, I really started to understand <laughs> that, you know what, like, I, I guess I need to run by, you know, some, I need to run this by somebody in turn, because what I may say, Tony may hear what I'm saying totally different my wife. And, ver and vice versa. And I said, you know what? I need to start figuring out um, what I'm actually saying and what I'm meaning. And, and, and what I found is, especially in conversations about race, especially in tense times, like you want to run it by people, um, because when emotions are high, everybody's overly sensitive. 
And so any little thing you may get wrong is going to become a big thing. And we, I mean, I don't need to go down the list of leaders that have been a victim because they didn't run by, you know, their words through some filters. Um, so I think it's just so important, bro. And what's great about it is, is that as you get in the habit of running your words through filters, then you start to develop a filter on your own of like, okay, based on the last thing I said, this is probably not going to go down. Okay. That, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's a process that that's been so helpful because as I continue to run it through people and as I have experience, then, you know, you don't have to run it through as many people, but you always want to get in the habit of always going back over that hamster wheel. I'm like, all right, cool. All right. It's a new topic. Let me run it through. All right. It's a new thing let me, let, let, until I find my voice. So, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm really curious to just hear um, from your perspective, um, and really, you you talk with a lot of different people as well. In the in the audience who's listening is major like I'm not unaware is majority white as well, and I'm just interested of just the different people that uh, that you've been talking to. How how have the how have the past few weeks like how how have you seen them differently? than maybe the average white person has. Wait, say, give, give me that question yeah. one more time. Yeah. So over the past few weeks, how have you seen things differently maybe than the average white person has? Wow. Well, I think for the, av- I think for the average white person, um, their eyes are opening for the first time or, mm-hmm. or bigger. They're getting big. Their eyes are opening bigger than they usually have. Most white people I talk to in this season are going, wow, I didn't realize I didn't know so much. Or wow, how did I miss that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just on the surface, my experience has been, you know, different just because I have, you know, I've been seeing it. I've also been yeah. working in it for the last six years, six, seven years of diversity of trying to bridge the world uh, between the two gaps. Um, and so I think just that in itself has, you know, I just, I've seen it through a black lens, mm-hmm. but I think beyond the average white person and just people in general, I think, and this includes the average white person. Um, I've been more encouraged than I've ever been. Yeah. I have been more encouraged about race relations in America than I have ever been. Because when you do the work, and you know, Caleb, you know I've been doing it for a while, of trying to bridge the gap, consulting white organizations, majority white organizations, black organizations, multicultural organizations. The, when you do the work, bro, it's like, I, here's, here's what I kept saying to everybody. Oh, you didn't know we were that far apart? Like most people were like, I didn't realize. I'm like, yeah, we've been that far apart for a while. But most people didn't know it. They thought, mo- most people thought we were closer than we were. Black and white, you know, specifically in this conversation. But I imagine it's probably similar from white to Hispanic and Asian and black. I mean, but specific to black and white, most people get are surprised. Like, man, what, what, how, how are we living in two different Americas? Like, how do we see differently? And I think we realize how far apart, or or at least... Um, the, the first tremor of this was was the night after Trump got elected. You know, people were going, whoa. Like, most of us voted different. You know, and this, this is not a political statement. This yeah. is just 
uh, you know, the introduction of, I think we all felt that like, whoa, like we all voted differently. That was different. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I think, so I've never been more encouraged, bro, because I have known that we've, we've been far apart, but now we're getting closer. Yeah. Because we yeah. have to. Yeah. And that's, that's going to make our world better. Yeah. One of, one of the things, and I would, I would just love, uh, I would just love your perspective on this. One of the things that I've uh, been hearing a lot over the past several weeks is, uh, and I guess this, this more pertains whenever it comes to uh, churches is that, Hey, that that's just a political issue. And maybe that's why we're not going to talk about it. But um, I could just tell from my perspective, I don't view it as a political issue. And I just kind of want to get your take on that as well. Now, are you talking about Black Lives Matter specifically or just uh, racial uh, unrest? Uh, racial unrest. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'll, in- I'll include Black Lives Matter in my response. Okay. <laughs> yeah, go. Hey, you go for it. Um, let me first say I understand why some people feel like it's a political issue. Mm-hmm. You know, some of my issues with some of the political figures that have been speaking out about this is that they have made it political. Mm -hmm. I'm like, come on guys, like stop co-opting the movement and making it political. Do do I think there are laws that need to be changed? Do I think we need to look at the justice system? Of course. But at the moment we make it political, then it's just like, so I do think, I think because I think politicians make it political and that's why many people think it is political. But I think if we could take a moment away from the politicians and those that are backed from, from super PACs, <laughs> right? From the Republican Democrat or independent side, we could take a moment and pull their voices back for a second and look at just the normal everyday person or the normal influencer or pastor or whoever you know, Black Lives Matter, the hashtag, was started by the organization. But I'll be honest, most of us didn't even know there was an organization. We didn't even know. Not only did we not know that there was an organization, we didn't know that they had policies that were political. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, <laughs> And so it, it was a little bit saddening. And, and, and I'm not here to say whether the policies are good or bad, because frankly, I don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what they mean. I haven't done deep research. I'm not speaking against them. I'm not speaking for them at all. But I am saying that if, if you can separate the hashtag from the organization and look at the hashtag or just the phrase for what it is, that is what has gone around the world. That's why, that's why it went around the world. That's why in London, you know, they, they're painting Black Lives Matter in the street. That's why the aboriginals in Australia are rising up. That's why Africa's rising up. That's why, you know, can't the, 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 the uh, black and brown people in Canada are rising up. I mean, I, I just want to point that out because the organization is focused on uh, the American politics. This focus, their policies are focused on the American politics. But the phrase is focused on liberation for black and brown people around the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to focus on. And we don't endorse the organization. 
we do endorse the phrase that black lives matter. Not saying, and I've said this, because I'm going to say it again, not saying that all lives don't matter. Just saying that black lives matter. The example I use is when in America, I think it was America, we, dis- we, we discovered that whales were becoming an endangered species. Have you heard this? I think you may have heard me say this. And we created the phrase, save the whales, right? And it, it wasn't to say, don't save all the animals. It was to say that the whales are, are in danger. So that's what Black Lives Matter is. It's, it's, it's to not pulling a people down or dissing anyone. It's just saying, hey, the whales are in danger. So we need to take care of them. Hopefully people by now know that. But I, I do think it's important to separate organizations from the actual statement. That is just simply, that simply just means Black Lives Matter. Nothing more, nothing less. So um, I think people think it's political because people make it political. Yeah. Um, I'm really, Was that helpful? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's super helpful. I, uh, I want to think through uh, the person who's listening right now. And they're like, hey, I want to I wanna get involved in this, but I'm like, I want, I want my church to become more diverse. I want my organization to become my, more diverse. Um, but like, I'm like an entry-level person. I'm not sure what I can do. Like, what, what advice would you give like to that person who's wanting to pursue more diversity in their church or in their um, organization or whatever it might be, but they're just not sure what to do. Yeah, man. I think I would say, um, speak out. I know people, you know, think that that is not much, but it is everything. And let me tell you why, especially if you're white, when we talk about the idea of institutional racism, right? Systemic oppression. What that is getting at is the idea that, if I just say it simply, white people have been in power for a very long time. We know that there was a time in this country when white people were the only ones in power. We know that. And then over the years, things begin to get more integrated. And it took a really long time to integrate a lot of spaces. And even today, a lot of those spaces are still not integrated. When we talk about the average CEO, well, on average, well, the CEOs in America, you know, 85% of them are white from, for the largest organizations in, in our country that make up the culture and make the big decisions. We're talking about CEOs that are in the justice system, CEOs that are Fortune 500 companies, all of these other things. Well, you start to ask the question, how, well, how did that happen? How did 85% of CEOs become white? Well, it didn't, it was inherited over the years because white people have been in power for such a long time. So that, that starts to lean itself towards systemic oppression, whatever. But why it's important for you to speak out if you're white is because even if you have 100 followers on Instagram, you have 20 followers on Facebook, Nine times out of 10, somebody powerful is following you. Why? Because white people have been in power for such a long time. You can sneeze and hit a powerful white person. And so 
you, you may just influence one person that controls millions, that has the ability to elevate and tear down systems in a region, in a city, in a, in a, you know, in a country. And does that matter? Yeah, it matters. Your voice matters. Even if it's just one person, even if it's your uncle, if it's your auntie, if it's your brother, if it's your sister, right? I mean, if, if it's a best friend or a friend of a friend, your voice matters. And when you say that you won't condone racism or racist talk or speech or hate or any system that seeks to oppress people of color, when you say that, it matters because you're saying it. I always say this, or let me say this, a lot of mentors of mine have said this for the years. If white people created racism in America, not in the world, but in America, then a large part of tearing it down is gonna be white people. We need y'all to tear it down. Why? Because you know where the bodies are, <laughs> right? You know how to talk to whoever is in your family that may be upholding a system or may have an outlet. You know how to talk to them. Why? Because they're in your family. You know how they think. You know what's important to them. You know what will matter to them. So your voice is everything. Use it wisely, lift it up, call it out. The next thing I would say is leverage your opportunities and your, and your circles and your influence for someone of color that, that may not have it. Leverage what you have to make a difference and to, re and to rewrite the story. I can tell you, you know, I I'm on this podcast and I've accomplished a lot in my life by the grace of God. A large part of it have, has been because white people that I knew took a moment and said, we got a lot of power, we got a lot of influence and we're going to help you. We're going to open doors because we know that the color of your skin will keep you out of some doors. Just because people have old ideologies and that's this, that's just the truth. So they said, because we know that we're going to give you a hand up. And it's not about, um, it's not about being unfair to people that are not minorities. It's about being fair to those that are minorities because the playing field has been uneven for such a long time. I'm excited and I'm more encouraged than ever that we are postured in this world right now and in this nation to make some of the greatest change we've ever made. People are listening like never before. There are people that will be listening to this podcast that, have, that are more open than they ever have been to conversations about race. I'm encouraged, bro. I think that if we come together and help each other, we'll change the world. Yeah. And, and I just, I want to get your take on for, for the, for the person who is speaking up, I think at, at I think at some point, whether it be intentionally, unintentionally, we're going to say the wrong thing. We may say something racist. What, what do you do when you get it wrong? When you get it wrong, first, run everything you say through a filter. <laughs> That's the first thing I want to say. That'll help you 90% of the time not get it wrong. But in the off chance or in the chance that you get it wrong, say it again. Say something again. Try again. Say it a different way. Don't let your mistakes keep you from fighting for progress. There's nowhere you can stand in this fight and not get hit. You got to pick where you stand and take the bullets. Apologize. 
make changes, but most importantly, be humble. We've seen people in this fight, when they get it wrong, go down, not because they got it wrong, but because they weren't humble when they did. They weren't humble. They didn't subject them. They didn't subject themselves to minorities to be to be taught. They 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 just tried to do this or they tried to say this. They weren't humble in how they did it or even how they fixed it. But I'll say this: um, the history of our country is messy, so this process is going to be messy. But don't give up, and understand you're going to get hit when you talk. But keep talking. Yeah. Where, what's a good, what's a good starting place? You know, as, as you, as you were saying, um, and I know that we've talked about uh, a few different things. And so it may just be um, uh, encouraging people to do what you've already said, but what's a good starting place? You know, you kind of mentioned that, uh, that things, things aren't as loud as they may have been in the previous couple of weeks. And uh, people may start ignoring this more. What, what's some good action steps for people to take going forward? Yeah, man. Um, I would say support your local government. When I say support, I mean, go out and vote, vote for the school system, vote for the right people, um, join petitions, follow people of color. As, as much as we don't like to say it, it is true that a lot of what will fix this is economic empowerment for black and brown people. We can, if we can empower black and brown people, they will help fix a lot of the systems too, because they'll get up there. They'll, they'll, they'll be up by the CEO going, all right, or they'll be, or they will be the CEO going, all right, we're going to do it differently this time. Um, one of the most encouraging things I've seen is a ton of white people following black voices that they maybe have never followed before, buying their books, supporting their podcasts, buying their products, that really helps because now you're helping an organization live that is led by a person of color and they can start to do a lot of the work that you may not be able to do. Be the Bridge is a great example. They raised hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars during this time, Latasha Morrison. And now she's going to be able to educate so many more over the next five years because of what y'all have given. Keep giving to her. Buy her book. She hit the New York Times bestseller list. What does that mean? Her honorarium is going to go up when she goes out to speak. And how does that help? Well, it helps because now she can go employ more people because she can make more money. Money has a large part to do with us changing this world and changing this country. If we can empower black and brown people economically, that's what Dr. King got shot for. He got shot because moments before they shot him, he was pushing something called Operation Breadbasket which was the economic empowerment of black and brown people. Economic empowerment. He said, we, gotta, we have to empower our people. He said, it doesn't make any sense if I can go eat in the, at the lunch counter sitting or at the lunch counter that I couldn't normally go in because I was black and brown, but I can't buy the lunch. He said, we, we, gotta, get, we gotta get economics going. So that's what I would say. Support black and brown people, support law enforcement in terms of voting and all of that, politicians, get the right people in and last but not least empower economically. One, one final thing I want to ask you is I want, I want you to think back to, to yourself before all of this stuff happened and think today and 
how have how have you changed? How have you been different? How has this helped you grow or what have you learned? I learned that we really can change if we fight hard enough. And by fight, I don't mean violence. I just mean through love. If we stand up, if we speak out, if we march, if we have peaceful protests, we can actually change society. I think that for me was crazy. I was like, wow, like, look at what happens when the people of goodwill come together, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, all of that, to fight for the same goal. We shift the nation and we can shift the world. That's been the biggest thing that I've learned, man, that we, we truly can change things if we, if we fight for it. Well, Sam, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm going to say, if you're not following Sam Collier on Instagram, you need to go follow Sam on Instagram. Help me out. And go pre-order his book, A Greater Story. <laughs> and anywhere, uh, where's the best place for them? Uh, what's, what's your website again? Is it just samcollier.com? Well, yeah, go to Amazon to get it. You can go to any bookstore, Barnes & Noble. Website, just go to agreaterstory.org, agreaterstory.org. You can go to samcarrier.tv too, but agreaterstory.org, and you'll find everything I'm doing now. Hey, man, I just appreciate this. Oh, yeah. And in a few weeks, we're going to come back, and you're going to hear Sam's awesome story as well. Man, it's a crazy story. I can't wait to tell it, bro. I've never told it publicly. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, thanks again for being on the pod today, and just thanks for all that you're doing as well. You the man. Sam, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Always love whatever we get to talk and just spend uh, some time uh, just catching up and I'm really just grateful for you, grateful for the leadership that you've just provided whenever it comes to this and really uh, just how you've helped me personally grow in just so many ways, including what we were talking about in terms of racial equality and equity as well. I also want to remind you to go and order Sam's book. You could go to Sam's website. You could go to the greater story a website as well that Sam mentioned about. You can go out to Amazon and pre-order that book. And then uh, not too long in a few weeks or so, Sam will be back on the podcast and we'll talk with him about his story. It's an incredible story. And I know that he's looking forward to sharing that with you as well. I want to remind you that if you liked this episode, if you loved this episode, go to your podcast player and hit the subscribe button. Or if you're on Spotify like me, I just, I've started listening to all of my podcasts on Spotify, hit the follow button and uh, you'll never miss an episode. And so you'll never miss great conversations like this. Also, if you're listening uh, on iTunes or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or whatever it might be, leave a rating and write a review of the podcast as well. That really does help booster, uh, boost this podcast, boost uh, the reach of these episodes as well. Also, thanks to Sam Massey for providing the music for this episode as well. And Sam Collier, thanks again. I know I feel like I have to clarify between the Sams because there's uh, two Sams. But Sam Collier, thank you so much for being on the podcast episode today. 
as well. And thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I'm so grateful that you've decided to spend or that you've spent a few minutes of your day here with me. And I can't wait to bring you the next episode. Now, until next time, keep learning and keep growing.